Welcome to Protecting Animal Welfare in Today's World, Building Unity Through Understanding, a series of podcasts sponsored by the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association and the College of Veterinarians of Ontario. I'm Dr. Kim Lambert, the Associate Registrar for Quality Practice with the College of Veterinarians of Ontario, and I will be the host of this session. There are six sessions in this podcast series focused on veterinary medicine and animal welfare. This is part two of our One Welfare session, and today with Dr. Bateman and Dr. Neal, we are going to discuss the practicing veterinarian's role in One Welfare and the resources that are available to veterinarians and their teams. At the end of part one of this session, we provided our listeners with scenarios they may encounter in practice that demonstrate One Welfare and what their role might be. Interestingly, and in, in I don't know if you've been reading some of this literature as well, Lee, but it's so interesting for researchers who've begun to document the welfare of dogs who live in Indigenous communities or on uh, reserves where they're free roaming and have incredible opportunities for social interaction, not only with their families, but their neighbors and other humans within the community who generally treat them with a great deal of respect and autonomy. They have this incredibly rich network of social interactions amongst other dog members within the community. And honestly, you know, have a pretty good life. They get to have a lot of things, you know, that enrich their well-being and mental health in that sort of a lifestyle. The challenges come in the human-created risks to their health where, you know, because of the poverty and lack of economic resources and education about veterinary care, they're exposed to diseases that put them at higher risk. But I think we forget very much about the positive welfare experiences that many of these dogs have in in these communities. It's incumbent upon, I think, veterinarians to be thinking about these things from a one welfare lens and educating themselves about the issues of animal welfare within Indigenous communities and remote Northern communities, particularly in Canada, and how the lack of resources and access to those resources really, again, are contributing to the traumas of living in these communities, which, again, we need to be infusing these kinds of decisions with that one welfare lens and that informed trauma lens. Thank you so much. Those were such incredible words and raised such awareness. So appreciative of that. I wonder if you don't mind maybe commenting on another scenario that veterinarians might encounter as well, where they might see some red flags related to, you know, domestic abuse or gender-based violence and even potentially hoarding situations. I'm not sure if there's one of those you want to comment on as far as a situation that also might be encountered for the veterinarians in the audience. Sure. Great points. Absolutely. I think, again, in the work that I've been involved with in in the last decade, paying attention to the literature. These are things that we don't tend to talk about commonly in veterinary curriculum, something that I'm sure Lee and I are going to be addressing in the years ahead, that graduate veterinarians do have more awareness of these kinds of things and 
and can feel more confident in being able to identify some of these sorts of red flags at an earlier point. Critically, maybe we could touch on a couple of those situations. You know, risk of gender-based violence and domestic abuse is sadly something that the pandemic also exacerbated significantly. And the research has now become unequivocal and very strong that interpersonal violence is very strongly linked to violence against animals, uh, violence against elders, and violence against children in the same home. So these types of violence, it is very clear now that these commonly co-occur in individual family situations. And so veterinarians need to be very, very clear that when they have the spidey senses are tingling or those questions drift through their mind about whether an animal who's been presented to them, that the injuries or health issues that they're seeing maybe don't make sense, or maybe there are some cues there that would indicate that we need to be thinking beyond the the history that's been provided to us by the client. It's so important to think carefully, to act ethically, and to fulfill the societal expectations that you react and respond appropriately by reporting those situations and ensuring that you understand carefully the risks to the people and the animals involved about how to address those situations. So again, from a when welfare lens and Uh, One Health Lens, these issues are so interconnected and that we need to be very conscious of all of those connections as we begin to address or to try to provide resources or help that individual on a pathway out of that situation. So critical to, I think, have resources available to understand the nuances of some of these kinds of situations to recognize that veterinarians are among the top three professionals who female victims of gender-based violence are most likely to disclose their situation to. And therefore, we need to have resources and understanding of these situations to know how to react because time is often of the essence in those situations to find a pathway forward for that family and animals, especially in that situation. Lee, I don't know if you have other thoughts or would like to weigh in on that topic. One thing that I was thinking about is, you know, what are the key red flags that people would need to be looking for in those situations as a veterinarian, whether it be domestic violence or hoarding or those types of things? How can they determine whether there is a problem and I guess have confidence in moving forward with that? Yeah, great question. And I think this area of information understanding is still a bit at its infancy. There's broader development of forensic veterinary science that that is really, again, in the next decade, really going to start to help us to understand what some of those red flags look like. But certainly, fundamentally, for domestic violence situations and animal cruelty in those environments, the most important things are understanding what non-accidental injury could look like and what the typical behaviors and communication patterns of people who 
know the truth but aren't telling the truth in those situations, how they might be identified. And so it's about matching the story or the lack of story sometimes in animals who present with really severe traumatic injuries and yet we don't have much of a story or information that doesn't quite match with the information that's directly in front of us. Injuries that are common or uncommon, I guess is what I should have been saying and thinking again that they have all of these injuries or things that have happened to them in this short period of time. Those are, again, red flags that on balance, we don't think of lightning striking in the same place so many times to cause serious injuries. That should be a red flag where people, again, are not necessarily from the same family who are telling the same story. Those can be important red flags that we need to track down and identify. So there's a lot of these kinds of things. Again, I think we're going to provide some extra resources at the end of this podcast. It's, I think, great for veterinarians to be thinking about those things, to educate themselves, to identify continuing education opportunities, to become more knowledgeable about those risk factors. And critically, you know, don't ignore those red flags when you identify them. And, and so it is, I guess, just so important for us to educate people about that, to normalize that behavior and those decisions within the profession and change that perspective uh, critically. And again, one welfare, when you think about these issues from that lens, it just is so important. And so makes so much more sense when you think about it from that perspective. Thank you. Thank you for providing such great information. And I think it's a good segue for us to talk about what are the resources and programs that are out there for veterinarians? I'm sure our listeners are curious about how they can be more informed about this topic and then how they can assist clients and animals who may be in crisis. My gosh, the list of potential resources is incredibly long. I think if we wanted to potentially group some of the things that we've talked about today with respect to, you know, access to veterinary care and to be thinking about both subsidized veterinary care or what many are calling spectrum of care where veterinarians are creatively offering, you know, lower cost solutions that don't require them to lose money perhaps on providing veterinary care in these kinds of environments. And so here in Ontario, the Kim and Stu Lang Community Healthcare Partnership Program is a generous gift provided to the college here and has begun to do some of this work. There's obviously a subsidized care component to this with respect to providing care in urban environments among folks who have pets and who are living with housing insecurity, as well as a number of Indigenous communities in Southwestern, as well as Northern and remote regions. But critically, we also are utilizing that funding for important research to help us understand how veterinarians can shift and and bring these one welfare ideas into daily practice in ways that are meaningful, that 
don't require people to, you know, take a cut in salary, and hopefully to allow us to improve the mental health of the profession as well. The Community Veterinary Outreach is another excellent example of an organization that is doing this work and has a lot of really powerful information on their website. Among the sheltering community, there are a number of organizations that are working collectively to change how those organizations are thinking about and working within community. Humane Society Pets for Life uh, program, the American Pets Alive program called Human Animal Support Services is a critical one. And there's also some incredibly excellent information from the University of Tennessee's working group, intensive research group that's aligned with the veterinary social work movement from the University of Tennessee and and their program called Align Care. So some great information on their website as well. If it want to think about information or resources related to the violence link or understanding the co-occurrence of these different forms of violence within families. The Canadian Veterinary Medical Association has a great resource page on identifying animal abuse and the veterinarian's ethical obligations to report and understand that and to properly document those kinds of issues. Humane Canada is an organization that is very intimately involved in this work and developed the Canadian Violence Link Conference that brings together Crown prosecutors, police uh, organizations, animal sheltering, veterinarians, social workers together to begin talking about how collectively we can address these kinds of concerns. And I would say in the United States, the incredible resources of a website and group called the National Link Coalition has an excellent website, very exhaustive resources on the link, violence link. As well, there's Safe Pet Ontario, which is a program of the Ontario Veterinary Medical Association about how, again, veterinarians can play a role in sheltering animals who are escaping from domestic violence. If we are to talk a little bit about the resources with respect to Indigenous communities that we talked about today, organization on Facebook called the Aboriginal Community and Animal Advocacy Connection is really amazing advocacy work, very inspiring, and really gives folks a sense of what's happening on within uh, Indigenous communities. And then there are so many organizations now across Canada who are you know, addressing animal welfare and the health of animals within Indigenous communities across the country. Organizations like the Canadian Animal Assistance Team, Vets Without Borders, our own CHIP program, Ontario's Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, many, many others. Smaller organizations like the Grey Bruce Aboriginal Chemic Team, again, among many other veterinarians in Ontario who are, you know, have seen the light and are doing work in these communities, again, too numerous to to mention here today. So just some examples, I think, of programs all around us that are not hard to find. If you Google some of these things, you'll probably come up with a great uh, list of places to begin to start to learn about these issues. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that professional organizations and professional societies will begin to identify these as important 
topics for continuing education and that we'll start to see more and more of these kinds of one welfare topics on the continuing education conference rosters in the coming years as well. Thank you, Shane. Lee, I wondered if you had any other thoughts on existing programs or resources. And I think that Shane's given a really nice overview. I think one other area just to highlight would be um, to remind people that there are also resources available if they are in a situation where they suspect potential cruelty or abuse is going on. Um, so for example, the CVMA website has some good resources on that. And I'm, I'm guessing that Shane has some other good resources that he'll be able to add to the list that's going to be available on the website as well. That's right. We're going to make sure that accompanying this podcast will also make available um, a document that lists these resources as well for our, our listeners to, to find. So thank you so much to Dr. Lee Neal and Dr. Shane Bateman for such an engaging discussion about One Welfare and really highlighting the role of veterinarians and veterinary teams now and um, in the future as well. So appreciated. As mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, this is one session in a series of six under the title, Protecting Animal Welfare in Today's World, Building Unity Through Understanding. Today was session three. The next session in this series will focus on the differences between neglect and abuse, as well as the ethical challenges that face veterinarians when confronted with such cases. For access to the podcasts at a later date, please visit www.cvo.org forward slash resources. Thank you for listening.